Uh, we'll get started. Let's stand and say the Shema. <coughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Amen. All right, we're, we're in the middle of we're, uh, chapter 13, 14, 15 of Matthew. Like I said last week, this is Jesus Christ Superstar. He's at the peak of his appeal to everyone. He's, everywhere he goes, he gets crowds, like lots of crowds. Not like, remember, this is the first century. So if you get 5,000 people together, it's not like you've got an arena. Right? They've got to bring all their own food. They've got to bring all their, everything. That's a lot of people. Most villages were only numbered in the hundreds. So to get 5,000 people together, you had people had to come from a really long way away. Uh, so last week, he, was, he gave one of the, the major teachings. He talks all the parables. We're going to run through there. And a lot of the parables talk about the value of the kingdom, that it's the most valuable thing out there. And then right at the end, we had, it's hard to go home. Uh, he goes back to Nazareth, and he is dissed. Uh, and they basically tell him, you're the carpenter's son. What are you doing? And so this is like, two days after he had thousands of people who came as far away from Jerusalem to hear him speak. He goes to Nazareth. They just say, eh. So now this is a little map of kind of what he's doing, all the movement in this section. Uh, Nazareth is also where he's from. Uh, Capernaum is where Jesus more or less lives. Most of his stuff occurs in and around Capernaum. And uh, uh, we're going to get to Bethsaida today. Tiberius is important because that's where Herod lives. Well, that's one of the places Herod lives. It's the nicest place he has. It's his vacation home. It's on the lake. It's really nice. His, uh, we'll show you here in a second, his other home where he goes when he gets scared is in a different place. All right. Before we get into it, today we're going to talk about Herod. When in the Bible, when you say Herod, there are lots of Herods. That's a family name. That's like saying Smith. Uh, Herod the Great is the guy that, when people say Herod, they mean Herod the Great. That's Luke 1, 2, Matthew 2. So when Jesus is born, Herod the Great is ruling. Herod the Great dies about 4 BC, splits his kingdom into four parts. Uh, this young man dies before he becomes... Uh, anything. So you only have one, two, three people who end up ruling. Archelaus is in Matthew 2.22. He is such a horrible king, technically tetrarch, that they take his, his kingdom away from him and he gets imprisoned in Rome. Uh, with the rule is if he leaves Rome, he gets executed. So then you're down to Herod, Antipas, and Philip. Uh, Philip is probably the, the smartest of the kings. He actually lives almost his whole life in Rome. Uh, the only problem he has is that, we're going to find out in today's, actually he loses his wife, who is actually Herodias, who's actually his half-niece, I believe. These two have the same mother. These two have the same mother, which makes even more interesting when Antipas steals Herodias. He steals it from his own full brother. Uh, 
And then as we get farther into this, uh, Agrippa rule, he, Antipas dies, Agrippa takes over from him. Herodias uh, is the one who's married to these two, and then Agrippa's son. So as you get into Acts, it's all Agrippa, Agrippa Bernice. The interesting part is Drusilla, who is the sister of these guys, is married to Felix, who shows up in Acts as the uh, procurator of Judea. So everybody marries everybody else. It's very uh, insular. This is the area that we're talking about here. This was ruled by Archelaus, who then gets taken from him, so it's given to uh, the uh, Pilate and then Felix and then Festus rule this area. The green is Antipas. Tiberius is where he likes to live. Remember what I said? He goes away. When he gets scared, he goes to a different place. He goes down to Mancharis. This is a fortress. And we know from Josephus, that's where he takes John the Baptist. When he arrests John the Baptist, this is where he takes him. All the way down here. Because we know that this has a dungeon, and this is where he puts his political prisoners. Because this is way out, away from where a lot of the people are. So he feels very safe there. Which also explains why earlier in the book, when John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one that I was looking for? It makes a little more sense because where is, where is John the Baptist? He's in prison down here. Jesus is doing all his early stuff up here. So John is dependent on people going down into this desert area and getting to this uh, fortress and giving him messages. So part of that makes a little more sense when you hear that the John is not like, he's not in jail in Tiberias where he can see hear all the stuff Jesus is doing. He is all the way down here. All right, start chapter 14. At the time, Herod the Tetrarch heard reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. That's why the miraculous prayers are working him. So one thing we know is John the Baptist is already dead here. This is a little insert that Matthew puts in here telling you how John the Baptist is dying. He doesn't die at this point. He's already dead. Because we know from the other Gospels that just before this time, Jesus asked people, who do the people say I am? And that's where they answer, oh, you're John the Baptist risen from the dead, or you're Elijah. That, you see that in Luke and John. That occurs just before. It's not in Matthew. But that's why Herod the Tetrarch, who's living in Tiberias, hears these thousands of people going to hear Jesus speak. And so he says, this has to be, who was the last person that had thousands of people come to see him? John the Baptist. So he sent, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Which is also why the apostles will say, oh, the people say you're John the Baptist. The people say you're Elijah because he's coming back. And that shows up again here in a minute when we talk about the story of the ghost uh, when Jesus walks on water and Paul walks on, or Peter walks on water. So a little story here is basically John, John Herod steals his brother's wife. They're living in Rome. 
She's younger, she's much prettier. Herod is already married, which to him did not seem to be a problem. To his wife, his first wife, was a big problem. So he convinces Herodias to elope with him from Rome back to Judea. And for reasons that's never sure, Philip doesn't do anything about it. Philip just stays in Rome, his brother. So Herod comes back to his area, Herod the Tetrarch, and lives openly, marries her. And to the Jews, you cannot have multiple wives. And technically, Herods are Jews. They converted to Judaism. So John the Baptist, we know from Josephus, we're seeing in a second, a lot goes you have this guy who's in charge of you that's living with another woman. He's got two wives. Well, and then Herod decides he's going to get rid of that, so he divorces the first wife. Big mistake. Uh, this, is, this is kind of the political reality of, the, of Judea at the time. You have the emperor at the top. He appoints governors. Governors and kings, you can be a king and you can be a governor. Governors are Roman citizens. Kings are not. Under the kings is tetrarch. What that has to do with is how many troops are you allowed? How trusted are you? How much of the tax revenue do you get to keep? Herod is a tetrarch. He only has 800 troops. He marries a girl from the neighboring king. His first wife is from the king of this area, who is the king. Uh, so just, and John is very, very, very popular. So Herod does not want, he puts him in prison, but he doesn't kill him. To the point that he is fear, and we know from Josephus that Herod is, is fearing that the people will rebel if he kills John. John is that popular. And so uh, he, when he ends up executing John because of a really bad decision, uh, because uh, the daughter of Herodias danced so well that he says, give me anything. And she goes, well, I want John's head. And he was really sorry she asked that. Uh, and so he kills John. Uh, and then the people went and told Jesus. Uh, so he's a tetrarch. He is here. He's the lowest ranking political king who rules an area. Uh, and so... The people do not like Herod, and like I said, it ends up biting him in the tail. And this was from Josephus' Antiquities. Uh, King Aridius IV, he marries her daughter. He's the one that's the daughter he divorces. He is a king. The Romans make sure that you don't have two more troops. The Romans always have more troops than the local people do, because that way, if you rebel, you're going to die first rule of the Roman Empire. Pay your taxes, don't rebel. So he divorces a daughter of a king. The king gets mad and invades uh, Herod's territory and they have, a, they have a battle. Herod loses. He's got only half as much troops. He loses. The Romans have to come in and rescue him. When the Romans come in and rescue people, they are never happy. 
because that means they have to get their troops up, they have to get them down there, they have to stop the fight. So Herod and Herodias get uh, banished to Gaul, which is basically modern-day uh, southern Germany, France. That's as far away from civilization as you can get. So to the Jews, Herod gets what was coming to him. Right? He, ma he divorces a woman. He marries his brother's wife, who was not dead at the time, uh, and beheads John the Baptist, who was very, very popular. And so soon thereafter, uh, because, and part of it was uh, this, and part of it was uh, Agrippa, as you go back and remember, Agrippa was Herodias's brother. He gets appointed by the emperor as king, which is one step up on the food chain. And so uh, the other Herod, Antipas, has been tetriarch for his entire life. So Herodias says, you should be king. And she ends up going to the emperor, tries to make him king, and that's when they get banished to Gaul. So uh, you get a lot of insight. The, the Jews would have seen what all these titles were, knowing immediately where they stand in the... So when did that happen? Like soon after John the Baptist was beheaded, he was... Uh, 44. So John the Baptist would have been beheaded around 31, 32. So around 44 is when Agrippa becomes... Uh, <laughs> Agrippa replaces Pilate, essentially. And so he becomes crowned as king. And so somewhere around 42... Uh, they want to be, Herodias wants uh, her husband to be the same as her brother, and then that's when he gets banished to Gaul. Uh, that's all after Jesus' Correct. But the Jews, this was all like Judea were still a highly Jewish area. And then this little story, this is the story of how this next two chapters of Jesus roaming around this area. Once again, Nazareth, Tiberias, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Tyre is all the way up here. Uh, just, just to try to get you some orientation of where they're going. All right. So we have the story of John being beheaded. And... Uh, Jesus withdrew. Uh, he wanted to pray. We know from the other Gospels that he was praying. He was basically, you know, John is his cousin, and he's known him his whole life. Uh, so he went to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him. So he's, he's not in a city. People know where he's at, and so they're all going after him. Uh, and so we have this, this miracle. Here's the feeding of the 5,000. And so he saw, he landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Everywhere Jesus goes, he heals their sick. That's not why he's going. He just does that as he goes, because he has compassion. And then uh, he would have healed the sick, he would have taught. Uh, and then the disciples come to him, this is a remote place, it's getting late. Send them away because we don't have any food, because they're out in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away, give them something to eat. Remember, he's already sent the apostles out on their short uh, essentially mission trip where he gave them the, the right to heal, to raise the dead, to heal demons, 
So they've already seen all Jesus' power. They've already had his power rotate through them. And they go, uh, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they go, well, we've only got five loaves and uh, two fish. Uh, five loaves is not accidental. Once again, five books of the Torah, that the, that the, the scripture is, the story is like a bread of life. Same sort of thing here. And so he brings them here. Uh, we know from the other things, he has them sit down in groups of 50s, 100s, which reminds you of who? Who did that in the Old Testament? Moses. Once again, the recurring theme of Matthew. Jesus is the new Moses. Uh, and he, gave, he broke the loaves and they gave them out. And they are all satisfied. They picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Uh, the number eight were 5,000 men. As I was saying before class, to Jews, only the men count. They don't count the women and children. They counted the men. Women and children count are extra. So you're talking 10,000, 12,000 people here probably. Uh, 12 basketfuls is intentional because you're talking, this is a Jewish crowd and the, the disciples are Jews. 12 is the 12 would be uh, symbolic of the 12 tribes. Any questions? This is the first of two feeding miracles we're going to see here during this uh, two chapters. All right. He made, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Once again, this is Jesus Christ superstar time. We know from the book of John that the people who have just seen these days of miracles want to make him king. They say they want to take Jesus and crown him as the Jewish king. Remember, the people are looking for the Messiah. In their words, the Messiah will be the new David. He's going to be the new king of Judea. And so they want to crown him king. There's a problem. Remember on the map? Where's Herod at? Herod, just before this, killed John because he was a threat. Uh, and so Jesus sends the apostles, disciples, what's going to be the apostles, the disciples, in the boat, get across. The, get across. And so they get in the, the water and they go because he wants to get the people away so they don't crown him king because it's not his time yet he does not and plus the fact he is not going to be the king the way they want to make him king and uh, so he dismisses the crowd he's already fed them he dismisses them uh, and he went up to the mountain to pray remember he's out in the wilderness here uh, and uh, he they're rowing it's rough they can't get against against the wind uh, and so Jesus comes walking out, and they were terrified. It's a ghost. In Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew world, bad things occurred at night, and ghosts brought them. So they're at the night, they're rowing. Sometime just before this, John the Baptist has been killed, and so now they're rowing, and they see this person walk on the water. So they immediately think it's a ghost. Uh, and. Jesus says, oh, it's me. Remember, you know, they don't have electric lights. So the apostles are in a wooden boat. They're not going to have lights going. They don't have candles going. They are rowing by starlight, moonlight. They see this person, and then it says, Jesus, it's me. And then, of course, Peter, who's always Peter, the man who jumps in, says, Lord, if it's you, come and let me walk on the water. 
He says, come. And he got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Then he saw the wave, became afraid. Once again, when you lose, we see this in the previous chapter. Jesus, in the previous chapter in Nazareth, didn't do miracles because of lack of faith. And so Peter's fine. He starts to become afraid and sink, and Jesus picks him up. And then they climbed in the boat, the wind died down, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is the first time the disciples use, that Matthew records, disciples use Jesus' title as Son of God. So this is significant. It's like finally the light is dawning. Maybe you really are the Messiah. This is not just a bunch of miracles. They climbed in the boat, uh, they crossed over and landed Genesaret. What do you remember about Genesaret? Because they went to the, the men of that place recognized Jesus. They sent word to the surrounding country. People brought their sick and they begged the sick just to touch the edge of the coat. And whoever touched it was healed. What was the last time Jesus in Genesaret? Man who was in the cave with the No. Nope. Very very similar. We're gonna get to that in a second. It's a very similar word. There there are two that's what there are two villages, one's on the Jewish side, one's in the Gentile side, that have very, very similar names. The other time is in Gensaret, which is the Jewish side, was this. This is the first time he was there. Uh, this was uh, Jarius, the synagogue leader, who comes to get him and say, uh, my daughter is sick, heal her. And we have the woman who was bleeding for 12 years who just says, if I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. That was the last time Jesus, so the last time Jesus was in Genesaret, woman touches a coat, is killed, and he raises a girl from the dead. Uh, so the next time he shows up, what's everybody do? They recognize him for who he is, and they said, they send out through the whole area, bring your sick here, because the Messiah is here. And he basically spends his time, uh, and literally they just touched him, and everyone who touched him was healed. So, which is the same thing the woman just did. So that's how much his fame has spread at this point, is the people come in, they're just touching his cloak, and they're healed. That's how much faith they have in him at this point. All right. And now, we're, now this is where you're starting to see the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Sadducees already don't like Jesus. I mean, they don't like anybody. So, they're, if you're not a Sadducee, you're nobody. The Pharisees, everyone thinks Jesus is a Pharisee because he teaches just like a Pharisee at this point. His theology aligns greatly with theirs. And then, until, the, until right about now, uh, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus and says, Why do your disciples break tradition? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? All right. What they're asking here is not, do your disciples never take baths? You know, that's how we would read this, right? I'm, you know, what they're talking about is a ritualistic pouring of water before they eat. To the Pharisees, they did this with every meal. They were very ritualistic. It wasn't you don't take baths, you don't clean your hands. You don't follow the rituals that the Pharisees have said you should do. And then so Jesus, this is, this is the throwdown here. Uh, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? 
So he, he cuts straight to the heart of the matter here. Uh, honor your father and mother. Anyone who accuses their father or mother is put to death. But if you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help the father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Go back to Sermon on the Mount. What was his number one theme? Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. He says that at least 12 different times. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. So he's accusing them of being hypocrites. And then he quotes Isaiah. People honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. Because the Pharisees have this wide complex of rules that they have superimposed on the law of Moses. They were so concerned about the law of Moses that they put extra laws so you wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. But then they got to the point, some of them got to the point of hypocrisy. Now remember, in this time, Pharisees were the most respected people these most respected Jews in Israel. Everyone wanted to be a Pharisee because in their world, they were the most righteous people. So this is a huge deal. The Pharisees come to Jesus and are asking this. Basically what they're saying is why Jesus and his disciples are eating kosher, what we would call kosher. They're just not using all the rules Pharisees have. And for the rest of the book, you're going to see constant conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees. And this is my favorite verse. Because the disciples think Jesus is going to be the new number one Pharisee. Because everyone, who's the most respected people? The Pharisees. The disciples came to him and asked, do you not know that the Pharisees are offended when they heard this? I love that. It's like, uh... These are our favorite people, and uh, you know they're trying to ask Jesus, who just walked on water, who just raised people from the dead, who just raised 5,000 people, fed 5,000 people. Oh, hey, you may not have known this, but you really just offended these guys. Uh, the, Pharisees, the Pharisees are loyal to Rome and perfectly content with Roman rule? No. The Pharisees did not, well... The Pharisees didn't care who ruled them as long as they could practice, practice what they did. Which the, which, as, long as, they as long as they were able to practice the way they were. The, the, the Romans didn't care who you worshipped. The two rules are pay your taxes and don't rebel. And then so that the Roman world was rife with every religion. They didn't care. So you, there's perfectly, there's a, there's a group that's perfectly content with power structure and Herods and everything as it is because they can exist and be hypocrites and marry their cousin's wife and, 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 and all this, and then Jesus is speaking to the people. Right. The, the Sadducees who were the, the priests were very content because they're on top of it. People saw the corruption and, and their political leaders and were looking for something different. Yes. The people kind of, didn't... Kind of like us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... The, 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 the actual rulers of Judea and Palestine were not liked by the people. The common, that's why the Pharisees were so respected, because they were not the leaders. They were the, they were the Bible teachers. They were the guys that studied the, the Torah all the time, could quote the entire Torah, could quote 
the writings of the other rabbis on the Torah. They were the smartest of the smart, and they were the ones that knew the Bible, the Torah, better than anyone else. And so as a result, they were seen as the most righteous people. Of all the Jews, the Pharisees are the most righteous. And then Jesus, and then that, so that's, the, that's what the, the, the disciples are thinking. Jesus is clearly a Pharisee until right there. And he just says, uh, not so much. And then this, as you remember from the, the parables, he has had a couple parables of this, is that whatever, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the pit. You cannot get a more anti-pharisaical statement than that. He's basically saying these guys who came to him are blind. Or if, if you will, uh, remember what he said, you're going to pull, the weeds will be pulled up and they will put in the fire that is never quenched where there's gnashing of teeth, right? So he's basically saying the Pharisees are going to hell. If you follow them because they have lost their way, they are worshiping the Mishnah and the, and the traditions, not the Bible, which is what Jesus just occur, accused him of. He says, you have lost what God has said, and you put your traditions higher than the word of God, which is huge for people whose every existence was about the word of God is the most important thing in my life. That's a Pharisee. So what he just told him is that you're, you're hypocrites because you don't believe it. You don't practice what you say. And that's a huge thing to Jesus. D be authentic. Be real. Don't be a hypocrite. And then, like I said, they really know he's different now. And what goes into a person's mouth does not defile them, or what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. And Jesus, and Peter again says, explain this to us, because the the uh, Pharisees are all about eating and what's about eating and eating correctly, which is what they just accused Jesus of, is not eating in the correct manner. And basically he's, he says, it's not what you do, it's your motivations. It's what's in your heart. Uh, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these devile them. In a Jewish sense, the heart was the essence of your being. We think of heart as your emotional we think head and heart. To a Jew, the heart was the S, your entire being. So what he said, the, the important part of you. So everything that comes out of your mouth comes from your heart, and those defile. From out of the heart come evil thoughts. These are what define, defile a person. Not, but eating with unwashed hand does not defile them. So if you violate the traditions, that's not the core. The core matter is what's your motivation, what's in your heart, what do you actually do? And I, I guarantee at that same point, the apostles then said again, wait a minute, don't you know that that has offended them? Because he is, he is offending them and now he's stomping on them after he's offended them once. All right, Bible Bowl time. Who went to Tyre and Sidon? Old Testament. I'll narrow it down for you. Because this is where Jesus is going next. Anybody? Anybody? Who, 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 who do the people think Jesus is besides Moses? Elijah. 
Elijah goes to Tyre and Sidon. And the Lord came and said, go to Tyre. Uh, and this story comes about her son is sick, and so there's no breath left in him, which means he's dead. Elijah raises him from the dead. The word of the Lord is in your mouth. All right. So Elijah, the prophet of God, goes to Tyre and Sidon, who, by the way, is a not a Jewish area. This is Gentile area. You know, Samaritans are half Jews. Tyre and Sidon is completely not Jew. These are ancient enemies of the people of Israel, to the Jews. So Jesus leaves that place. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. That's that, if you look in the map, that's him going up to up on to the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a Canaanite woman. Only Matthew calls her Canaanite woman. All the other guys call her uh, from, a lady from Phoenicia, which is where she's from. But all the Jews would know her as a Canaanite. Canaanite people were the people that opposed Moses and Joshua when they went into the, the Promised Land. They were the Canaanites who, by the way, the Jews were supposed to kill all the Canaanites. So Jesus is now, after he just really dissed the Pharisees, he's now going even farther. He's going to the Canaanites, who are the ancient enemies of all Jews. Uh, and so she cried out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on him. Uh, she's given him some royal... Uh, Son of David is royalty. That means you're a descendant of David. And, and Lord, so what she's crying out to him is, hey, you really are a descendant of David. Have mercy on me, my daughter. She's all the way up in Tyre and Sidon. She's my, probably 100 miles from where Jesus is in the Sea of Galilee. And she knows the story because Jesus shows up and my daughter is, daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. He doesn't answer her, which is, when you read the first, Matthew, the first time this occurs, Jesus has compassion on people every time he sees suffering. He ignores her, which is the best part is he's acting exactly like a Pharisee here. He just said, I am not a Pharisee. Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Jesus is exactly acting like a Pharisee here, which is really funny because it's exactly what his disciples want him to act like. They want him to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. So Jesus becomes one. He doesn't, he, because in, in the Jewish world, women did not speak to men, period. Not, never. Non-Jewish women never, ever, ever spoke to rabbis. And so she's breaking all sorts of taboos here. And Jesus is acting like a Pharisee. Uh, and so the disciples came to him and urged him. I, he has to be laughing on the inside because his disciples are acting like two-year-olds, which they've done like for the last five chapters. Uh, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. What they're saying is she's bothering us because she's just following him, saying, Jesus, heal my daughter. Jesus, heal my daughter. Do something for me. Uh, and so he then, after his disciples, turns around and says to her, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel which is exactly a Jewish answer, right? The Messiah was going to make the Jews the leader of the world, the most powerful country. So he's answering them exactly the way a Pharisee would answer this. I'm going to ignore you until my disciples bring you to your attention. Then I'm going to answer you just like a Pharisee. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You're Canaanite. 
I'm only for the people of Israel. And she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Uh, he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. To the Jew Jews did not keep dogs. Dogs were predators. They were uh, uh, unclean animals. So almost as bad as a pig. Not quite, but really close. They did not keep dogs at all. Gentiles, on the other hand, uh, Greeks and Romans kept dogs all the time. They kept dogs as guard dogs. They kept dogs in the house. Uh, the word that he used here is not, this word, this, the word dogs here is not wild dogs. It's the word for indoor pet. The, like, we have a Shih Tzu that lives in our house. This would be what he's saying. He's not saying toss it to the German Shepherd or the Bull Mastiff. What he's saying is, uh, it's not fine to take bread and toss it to the Shih Tzu. And everybody understands that because of the word he uses. And then she answers him, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And uh, basically saying, yeah, but everyone knows that you keep the dogs inside because they eat the crumbs. And if something falls on the ground, what happens if you've got all your dog people? When a, dog, piece, when a food hits the ground, how long does it last? It doesn't, right? It's gone. And, that, and so she said, even the dogs, same word, indoor dogs, eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. And then Jesus says to her, he's using her to make a point with his disciples. Woman, you have great faith. The request is granted. Once again, distance healing. Jesus doesn't even go see the daughter. He just says, it's done. Go see her. This is he, twice in the book of Matthew, and only twice does he use this word great faith. What was the other time? We've already talked about it. The centurion, the other non-Jew that he heals. So the only two times people have great faith are Gentiles. People who are enemies of the people of Israel. The Roman and the Canaanite. So Matthew is painting this picture that Jesus is coming for everyone. He is the Messiah to everybody. Because Jesus' two statements of great faith are the two biggest en enemies of the people of Israel. So this is almost a setup for his disciples, is what you're saying. He is, yes, he is, he is breaking the prejudice. Just like jo first service, Josh was talking about prejudice and breaking prejudice. That's what Jesus is doing here. He had, at every, if you go through the book of Matthew, every major miracle that he does for the Jews, he does a mirror miracle for non-Jews. So he raises this, he, he heals this uh, person of the thing. All right, so then he leaves there and he's now going, he's going way north and east. He's in Philip's territory because uh, the other Herod is not gonna be happy with him at this point because people want to make him king. What happens when Herod thinks people wanna make people king? He arrests them and kills them. Uh, so Jesus goes all the way around. He goes to a mountainside and sat down. He's acting like a teacher here. He's back to rabbi world. Uh, the, key, the key is he is now in Gentile territory. This is a very mixed area. Uh, there are some Jews here that are mostly Gentiles. This is the same area where 
he healed the, the, the demoniac called Legion. He's now in the same area again. And so he went along the sea, he sat down, and great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and the others, and laid them in the field, and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled by well, the lame walking, the blind seeing. Why does Matthew say that? We, did, we had that earlier. That's the, that's the job of the Messiah. According to Isaiah, because when John the Baptist sends the delegation to him, they say, are you the one we're expecting or is he to come? Jesus' answer is, show them this. What, what's happening? The mute are speaking, the crippled are made well, the lame are walking, the blind seen. That is what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. So watch Jesus doing here. He's being the Messiah. And they praise the God of Israel. This is a non-Jewish area. This is a Gentile area. Now they know Jews because the Jews are interacting with them and they, you know, they live in amongst them, but it's primarily G Gentile. They praise the God of Israel, which is what the Messiah is also going to do. He's going to bring God down to the people. So right here, Jesus, Matthew is saying Jesus is the Messiah. The Gentiles recognize that Jesus is the Messiah because they're praising the God of Israel. So what he's setting up is this contrast. The Pharisees don't recognize him as the Messiah. The Sadducees don't recognize him as the Messiah. The Gentiles who don't know God recognize him as the Messiah. And once again, another, another, I have compassion for these people. They've been with me three days. So he's been teaching and healing for three days out in the middle of nowhere. I don't want them sitting away hungry. And once again, I love this. The apostles just saw him feed 5,000, right? This is probably a couple weeks later, maybe a month later. And they say the same thing. Where could we get enough bread and this remote paste to feed such a crowd? And uh, you, you would think at this point, you think uh, Peter, of all people, who's impulsive as all get out, would say, Lord, do it again. He doesn't. They say, well, we don't have the bread. And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And sometimes I think Jesus is just, you know, what, what's that emoji you see, you know, this emoji? I think Jesus, if he was texting, would be doing this going, oh. How many loaves of bread do you have? Seven is the answer. And a few small fish. So he told the crowd to sit in the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks. He broke it up and gave it to the disciples and they turned it to the people. They ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, they picked up seven baskets full. The number of the men who ate was 4,000 besides women. Because once again, Matthew's a Jew, doesn't count the women and children. He only counts the men. And then he sent the crowd away and went to the vicinity of... Um, Mag Magadon. Seven bat, why seven? We had 12 last time because it was a Jewish crowd. 12 is very important to them. Seven is important. It's A, it's the number of completion, right? The number, what's the name of the devil? Or the, the one who's come, 666? Six, six, six. Seven is completion, six is not. So seven is completion, but to the Jews, it's even, that there's another even bigger uh, imagery for this. When the Jews entered the land of Canaan, remember he just healed a Canaan woman, when he entered the land of Canaan, there are seven pagan nations that opposed the Jews.
And they were considered the blood enemy, the blood feud enemy of the Jews, these seven nations. So the fact that Jesus is now healing Canaanites, healing people from the seven nations, and there are seven loaves, and when they pick it up, there are seven baskets, the Jews immediately would flash to the fact that the seven pagan, this is symbology for the seven pagan nations, that Jesus is saying again, these seven pagan nations who are the, considered the enemies of Israel are now being brought in to the kingdom of God, which is the theme of the book of Matthew. The kingdom of, the God, the kingdom of God is here. And so that's the symbology of this healing, this feeding, as opposed to the other feeding. Jewish, 12 tribes, all the 12 tribes are in the kingdom of God. This Gentile healing, seven, the seven pagan nations are being brought into the kingdom of God. All right, any questions? Got one minute. Uh, just some fun facts. Uh, when you, like I said, the ranking of everyone when you go through the Bible, Pilate is a, is a prefect, which means that he controls about two cohorts of troops. Uh, Felix is the guy who is appointed to, when you get into Acts, Felix is appointed to replace Pilate. He's a procurator, which is a different rank. He controls about four to six cohorts. Higher than that would be governor, who controls all the legions underneath him, and higher than him is the emperor. Uh, to give you a, about equivalence, a, a prefect and a tetrarch are about the same rank. The difference is these guys are Romans, these guys are not Romans. And a procurator and a king are about the same rank. They control about the same amount of troops. Is that why they have to appeal to Pilate to kill Jesus? Yes, because Pilate controls the troops. He controls the law. Uh, the Romans had the final say on capital punishment. Once again, you can worship however you want, but don't break, because if you kill someone, what can't they do? Can't pay their taxes. So the Romans are all about getting the taxes. So you cannot disrupt things. You can worship however you want, just don't disrupt stuff. And so if, they're gonna, if you're gonna kill someone, the Romans are gonna say you can do it. And uh, just for fun, uh, the average legionnaire got paid three denarii a day which is three times the average wage. That's why if you were an up and coming young man in Palestine, you could join the, you can join the Roman legions and you get paid three times that. The, uh, there are centuries, Mandel's cohorts, the guys, uh, a cohort commander probably made 30 times what the average wage was for everyone around them. So, you know, the miracle where he goes and heals the centurion's servant, he's the head of the Italian cohort, he is a very wealthy man in, and powerful man in those days. And so, it's, so when you, you hear some of these names, that's what, there's, what Matthew or the other uh, guys who write the Gospels are telling you is politically where does the guy stand and how much power does he really have. And so when Paul gets arrested and he goes and talks to Felix, uh, that's a very powerful person. Felix is, by the way, Felix's older brother is uh, 
Claudius Caesar's Secretary of the Treasury. So that's why Felix gets appointed to this position. His older brother is very, very powerful. And so when Paul appeals to Felix, Felix grew up in Rome with the emperor. So he's a very powerful man. He also is known to be very corrupt. Uh, and even Josephus writes the fact that everyone knows that Felix could be bought. If you wanted anything, you're going to have to bribe him, which is why Paul stays in jail for two years. He won't bribe him. And that's going to show up in Joshua's probably two weeks upstairs. All right. See you next week.